1: Australian Made Week kicks off on May 15th. Look for the green and gold kangaroo logo. Road to the Ashes with Simon O'Donnell and Steve Harmison.
0: Hello, everyone. Welcome to another edition of Road to the Ashes here on SEN and also Talk Sport all the way over there in the UK. Uh, I'm Simon O'Donnell. Pleasure to be sitting here in the SEN studios and joined by my co-host Steve Harmison, uh, all the way over there in the UK. We're here, thanks to Australian Made, look for the green and gold kangaroo. And I'll tell you what, we've got an exciting day today, Harmy, let me tell you, because uh, the boss is coming on. A. Gilchrist, a man who's had a, a wonderful uh, Ashes Campaigns over the journey and we can't wait to speak to him uh, a little later on. So uh, exciting for both of us and everyone joining our, our show for the third time. Welcome to you.
2: Yeah, good, uh, good morning, good evening, Simon. Uh, yeah, it's been been an interesting 24 hours for me. We've had um, a little bit of Aussie bashing. There's a whole host of 05 lads back together last night, along with the, uh, I think, half of the 03 rugby team, which won the World Cup, I think, in Sydney in 2003. I keep saying I think because not many Australians remember what happened in all them years ago but it was a great night and everyone back together it was uh some stories to be told
0: mate i uh, the great thing about technology is just explaining to our listeners um is i'm seeing you in the uk and when you sat down and i'm looking at the little square on the computer I thought, geez the big man looks red as if he's possibly got up put the joggers on and gone for a 10k but that's not the case
2: no, the big lad's just got up and he's been there at a few from the night before. Uh, I'm not gonna I'm not gonna argue with you. Um, the modern technology is, you know, the way the world has gone. You can have conversations around the world now. And unfortunately, because of you know webcams and cam, you know laptops, you can see you can see just how how much somebody's had the night before. So you now, it to be fair, last night was a great night. Um seeing Duncan Fletcher for the first time in Wow. Probably 15 years um he flew in from Cape Town for the evening um I probably spoke to him more last night than I did in eight years playing for him um and I actually definitely seen him smile more last night than I've ever seen Duncan Fletcher in all the years he was he was coach of uh, of coach of England but no it was everybody was back apart from KP and 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 Andrew Flintoff um, and we had a great night.
0: So tell us uh, some of the members of the team, and over here we, we have a football competition where you give votes three, two, one. The best player gets three, second best two, the third best one. Who was the best player on the ground amongst uh, the English victors there at dinner last night?
2: Um, well, some some people haven't changed. So Sir Andrew Strauss, he had a, a yeah a little chat with with the audience along with Duncan Fletcher. So. Fletcher's definitely changed because he smiles more now than he's ever smiled in his entire life. Uh, Strauss has not looked any different to when he was playing. He's just lost a bit of hair. Uh, me and Hoggard, we we definitely have changed. Andrew Flintoff has probably lost about five, six stones since he, he finished playing cricket. And me and Hoggy have definitely found it. The big lads have got bigger. So Simon Jones looks a million dollars. Um, well, he's a... He's, uh, um, yeah, he hasn't changed much. And you know, poor Colin was recovering um from a from an Achilles operation. But the majority of the lads look still look quite well. They still look as though they they're still training and doing a bit. But the bowlers look bigger. As you know, Simon, when you when you stop bowling, you tend to put a bit of weight on. And and me and Hoggy, probably the only ones at level one, I think. If you're looking at three who haven't changed much and still look at their it, they're sort of Fighting wit and fighting best. Unfortunately, me and Ollie have enjoyed our dinners.
0: Oh, uh, keep enjoying them too. So, so you should. Um, and I suppose the uh, key ingredient from that is you would have been a lot of discussion about uh, where everything sits leading into June 16, when the first ball of this Ashes series will be bowled at at Edgbaston, and it hasn't all been good news for the English team or squad. Um, during the week with with Joffre Archer, who I, I, I desperately want him to play in this series, he is is such a a dynamic performer, such a dynamic bowler. Um, things don't look good for him. No, I think
2: I think what's the space on on Jofra? I think there's a there's been a plan. I don't know this for a fact because obviously I'm not in inside the, the England camp, but I think there's a plan with Jofra on how he gets to June 16. Um, I still don't think. I still wouldn't play him in the first test match. I've never never, be, never had the opinion that I think Jofra plays in the first test match because of his road to recovery, his IPL journey, um, and when he comes back from the IPL with no first-class cricket in between, that would be a big ask to go in 16th of June. First Red Bull game in the best part of two years. So it's good that he's come back now. Fingers crossed he's, from an English point of view, he's okay-ish, and he goes into the Ireland Test match. A little bit like Australia have got the, the World Test Championship, and there's a lot of opinion, whether it's right or wrong, not to play a warm-up game before it. Mm. Australia have got the World Test Championship against India. England have got the Test match against Ireland. Fully expect Jofra Archer to play against Ireland, and then possibly ready for the second Test match when he's... You know, he's given his chance, his body a chance to go through a five-day game or a longer format game, and then come back. So I don't think it's all bad news from for Jofra. We've seen him seen him last week play for the Mumbai Indians. He was bowling 95 mile an hour. Mm. And you know yourself as a as a bowler, Simon. If you're bowling 95 mile an hour, you, things are working okay in your body. So I just think it's I think this is a planned coming home that this early. Um, and, and fingers crossed for the series that he's okay, because we all want the, the biggest thing I've always wanted from this series is that both teams are at their their fighting best, both teams are fully fit. Because if they are, it's going to be a magnificent series.
0: Yeah, I agreed. And uh, let's hope that that is just a, a management issue with uh, Jofra Archer, because he, he's a integral part of that that bowling lineup uh, for. England, uh, you, you talk about the, the build-up and, um, you know, the Aussies got the, the World Test Championship played at um, the Oval pre the first Ashes Test match. They've chosen not to play any warm-up games. You you touched on that, I mean, we touched on it last week that you know, the surface is different over there. It, it takes a little bit of getting used to uh, coming from Australian conditions to to English conditions, albeit, you know, the, the guys, you know, play around the world pretty much... It, Appears seamlessly these days. Do you think that's a mistake? Do you think that's something the the Aussies should be doing? Is playing some some warm up cricket just to to hone things in to get them a hundred percent before their World Test Championship and then the Ashes?
2: I think so. I think to get used to English conditions, definitely for for one or two. They're an experienced squad, Australia. Um, the one, the, the ones, the one or two that you worry about. It's not a case of worrying about. It's just, as I know from myself, it's you know, from previous Ashes tours, especially the one in 6, 06 07, if you don't have the best preparation, if you don't go and hit the ground running with overs under your belt, then you're trying to play catch-up in a pressurised situation. So we're like Mitchell Stark, a you know, big lad, um, only played one Test match here in 2019. He would be somebody that you'd think probably could do with a game. Where Pat Cummins, there's not a great deal can go wrong with that bowling action. It really is. Mm. It's it's mechanic. It's it's perfect. It's a beautiful bowling action. Here's the Woods playing in. He's not playing, but he's been in and around IPL and, and and had a bit of cricket. And a lot of the batters are actually playing cricket at the minute. So whether they're in first-class cricket in England or they are they're playing in the IPL. So the only one I'd look at was was probably Mitchell Stark. That his volume of overs. Probably could have done, could have done with a game. The rest, it's an experience. It's where the game is now. It's where the where the world is. England got to New Zealand and cancelled their They had a their two two day games, hmm. and I was there for both of them in Hamilton. And after this, after this sort of second day of the, of the first one, you could see England were ready. They were ready for a game, for a test match. It was like, rack, rack it off. Let's go and have a game of golf. Let's go and have some good time together. And sort of release the pressure just before everything starts. So I think there's pros and cons on yes play or don't play. Um, but gone of the days, Neil Manthorpe, our great friend uh, out in South Africa, he reminded me that the Donald Bradman team in 1947 came over on the boat, and they played 12 first-class matches <laughs> before the before the first test. But yeah, that's just that the
0: times have changed. Mm. Yes, times have changed. It's interesting. I think the the biggest um, challenge going from Australian conditions or subcontinental conditions to England is the change in length. And you, you talk on yeah. Pat Cummins and you know, how good his action is. Uh, Mitchell Stark you know, swings the ball, but the, the, the ball will be bowled half a metre to a metre further up in your conditions than it is at home. And that's not something that just changes automatically i mean getting that radar in is a is a difficult thing to do and and you know i suppose they're putting a lot of emphasis on the way they prepare for their matches they train so well and they're so specific about what they do that they can literally just reset the computer if you like and say we're now in England and the release of the ball is coming in a in a different position we know that and we only need a short period of time to get that right
2: yeah, absolutely spot on. And coupled with the fact that the way England have played, 10 Test match wins in 12, you'd have thought you'd want a game of cricket because these are the lengths we're trying to hit. This is the adjustments we're trying to make. And also, England are coming at us. So England are coming at us. So we want we want to make sure that when we get to June 16, we get to Edgebaston. All of a sudden, by lunchtime, we're not going we're bowling the wrong length. Mm. We're bowling the wrong line. And we're going at seven and a half and over because England will be trying to do that. And that's probably why you... And it's not a case of playing 3 4 40-year games or playing 12 first-class matches like Donald Bradman's done. It is a case of, right, can we make sure that we nail our lens, that by lunchtime on day one, we are not behind the eight ball and putting ourselves under even more pressure by our own doing because mm. our own doing is... We're not going to play a first-class match. You could do what England done. We can set up a four-day game, get two days in. Nah, we're done, boys. That's it. Enough. Let's go and play golf. Let's go and get ready for the for the ashes. But give yourself the option.
0: Yeah, it, it just adds a, another, um, I, I suppose, a sense of intrigue. Another section of it leading into Edgbaston and and what may happen there in that first Test match. Tommy, uh, we're going to take a bit of a break. Uh, Adam Gilchrist. Is uh, coming to going to join us shortly, and uh, I'd like to also touch on a little later on just where everyone's at within county cricket and how they're performing at the moment. I wonder if the Aussies have missed a trick with Michael Nessa. He's over there performing really well in in, in county cricket. Some of the batters, um, Marnus Labuschagne, uh, Steve Smith, uh, are saying to get their sides in as well prior to this Ashes series.
2: Australian Made Week kicks off on May 15th. Look for the green and gold kangaroo
0: logo. Road to the Ashes with Simon O'Donnell and Steve Harmison. Welcome back to Road to the Ashes. Simon O'Donnell here at SEN Talk Sport over in the UK. Steve Harmison joining us from the other side of the world. Thanks to Australian Made. look for the green and gold kangaroo. He's not on the other side of the world. Uh, He's firmly ensconced here in Australia, but I tell you what, uh, he loved travelling to the other side of the world sometimes to uh, play against the old foe. And I talk of Adam Gilchrist, who had a a fantastic Ashes career during his journey as an Australian Test cricketer. And we're lucky enough uh, that he joins us on road to the Ashes and I might add is also uh, an Australian made ambassador. We'll talk about that a little later on because um, we've got some Ashes to talk with him first and foremost gilly uh, welcome to road to the ashes great to have you on board uh cheers simon harmy uh how are
1: you both great to great to see you good to be chatting uh about well both things that we're chatting about the obviously the ashes and and then the australia made campaign it's always as you said simon in the intro any aussie loves getting over to the uk at any stage and uh if it's whether it's representing australia on sporting field or or the business community that uh, we're very proud of. It's nice to uh, intertwine the two, but, um, yeah, huge anticipation about what's coming up ahead for everyone. I'm sure it's the same over there, Harmi.
2: Yeah, it's massive. The whole thing, I think we're all looking at this ASHA series thinking it's going to be the closest thing since the one that you forget in 2005, <laughs> the most eagerly-awaited, anticipated series since 2005.
0: We just chatted earlier, Gilly, about the... The build-up for the Australians—they've chosen sort of no warm-up games. They go straight into their World Test yeah. Championship and and then into the first Test match. Your thoughts on that?
1: Yeah, it's a bit of a high-risk policy from them, given they did the same, didn't they, in India, and that came unstuck very early. Uh, but I think, notwithstanding the conditions in India were pretty uh, pretty uh, delicate to say the least um, in the first few Test matches. So, you know, maybe pre-match uh, pre-tour games might not have helped them anyway, but. Uh, I think that there's not a lot of time is there between the world test championship and the first no. test at Edgbaston. No. Is that right? There probably wouldn't be time to whack a game in there anyway. I don't think without, um, without adding to the workload. So uh, I don't know. It's, all I think you can do is sit back and trust the judgment. It's a pretty experienced setup there. Uh, the leaders of the group, uh, they know the workloads and, and the cricket that they've played. There's, a, you know, a few key players over there already acclimatizing by way of county cricket, which is which is going to help them out. Um, and then I guess it falls back more to the bowling workload and what guys want to do. But I'm not too bothered. There's a whole bunch of, uh, well, a number of ashes. Contenders, I suppose, for England that are in the IPL that will lead them right up very close to the series. So, in this day and age, oh, it's hard to comment coming from another era um, as to what is uh, needed, required, or acceptable in this day and age, given the cricket they're playing. And and clearly, the current players feel that's the best way to go. So, um, oh, I'm I'm a bit reserved in trying to judge that just at the moment and um, and and be able to advise what's best or what's not. So just. Trust them, go with it, and uh, get stuck into it. And for their sake, I hope it goes well.
0: Interesting listening to you talk on on the, in a way, a little bit of the recipe for success. Is it playing a game or not? One of the big contributors, I thought, in your period of Ashes cricket and and your career was stability amongst that 11 to probably 14 guys. It was the same faces for about 10 years. And I I felt stability was such a important ingredient to the success of your period playing test cricket am i fair in saying that and do you think that's still relevant and important now
1: oh, i do i again i can only speak from experience um as as the three of us can from from previous times but i do think if you can get stability and continuity in a in a core group of players i mean that means a number of things doesn't it, it means that you're it means the team must be doing reasonably well, or at least you know the bulk, the lion's share of the players are doing well enough to retain their spot in the team. Consistency of selection, so and and over a long period of time, that means the team results are probably going to be pretty decent. Uh, and it brings also that that uh, that IP, if you like, or that that knowledge and intellect, that cricket intellect that has been built up over that period of time as you march on towards uh, a destination together. And I think you know, for the last 18 months or so, this this Ashes has been the destination. Um, and India was certainly something that they would, Australian team would love to have achieved a, a victory in. And, and they sort of ended up getting reasonably close. But uh, but then, yeah, the Ashes comes around and it's always spoken about a long time out about management of bowlers and management of players and workloads. And I'm sure it's a bit the same in the England camp. I mean, look at the way Joffre has been treated over a long period of time in the hope that he can come up for this series and 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 the like even the management of the older guys Brody and 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 jimmy um there's always that bigger picture at the end of the day that's uh, the carrot dangling there so the management of players uh which then allows consistency of selection over a fair period of time i, I think it's pretty important and i i think england now <laughs> probably that the style of cricket they've been playing and the and that regime of what is it now, 12 to 18 months, uh, they're probably biggest headache simply working out who to, who to leave out. They've got quite the selection to pick from if they're all fully fit. Whereas Australia's um, set up, I, I probably think the 11 is close to picking itself and there's not a lot of competition banging the door down there to, to force guys out. So, um, I mean, the 11 that they have, I think if they're fully fit, will be very, very competitive. They're so evenly matched, these teams.
2: Yeah, I, I agree. I look at the Australian side and I think Australia have probably got the best 11. I think England have got the bigger depth. Even, yep. you know, most of the playing in England, so they're going to have even more to pick from. Um, and five test matches in six and a half weeks. It's crazy schedule. That might just work in England's favour because of the depths they've got. But if I ask you, Gilly, about what does the ashes mean? You know, growing up, you know, I remember I remember my first ever overseas at Durham, was, I was 17-year-old, was David Boone. Whatever I think of the ashes, I just think Booney getting off a of plane, drinking ridiculous amounts of lager <laughs> hundreds in the early part of a series. I have only ever seen Booney on the telly in hundreds. So to, to play with him was just like a dream come true. But if I've yeah. asked you what the ashes means, what does it mean to Adam Gilchrist growing up?
1: Yeah, that uh look, it it meant everything. My first Ashes test um, it was 2001 mm-hmm. at Edgbaston. Which I think was a I think about my twelfth or eleventh or twelfth test match in my career, but it was my first one against against your lot. And I was as nervous that morning as I was thinking back to my actual test debut. I think that you knew that you were entering that that um, you know, that group of players that, that had the opportunity to to join the Ashes history. So that that's clearly to me what it meant. I remember <laughs> um, yeah, watching on eagerly in, in 89. I mean, I watched Asher's series prior to that, but uh, both home and abroad. But I um, was over there in 1989 as a youngster, um, just playing for a club team and and watching that close range. Um, the, the question marks cast over that group of players of the Aussies and, and then seeing them do what they did. And remember the uh, sort of a bit of an iconic shot of them I think it was Booney swept. Did he sweep the winning runs at Old Trafford to secure the ashes and, and they're all up on the balcony. It's not the Lord's balcony, but it was up at the old, Old Trafford, um, the balcony there. And and then a few years later, I was back with an Australian under 19 team and all we wanted to do was recreate that sort of image as an under 19 unit. So it it sort of filled it into the system a little bit and, and, and generations pass it on down. So that era of players, were, were a bunch of my idols, as were the generation before, Lily Marsh, you know, and, and all those guys, AB. So, yeah, it's, it gets in your blood, it gets in your system. And um, it seems like every Ashes series now grows and grows and grows. And you're right, this is this is even more highly anticipated. I think before 2005, and Harmony, you can tell me if this is right or wrong, but I just wondered whether the public, the English cricketing public, and even you guys, perhaps to an extent, didn't quite think that that was going to be the series that you would challenge us and or well, not challenge us, but actually beat us. Maybe it was an 18 months early and, and it was going to be later on. You did it, but so maybe that anticipation wasn't quite there, but mind you, the spell you bowled to punter and taking his cheekbone out that first morning at Lord's, I think that set the tone for mine for what was clearly one of the great series. So, Whereas this time it is truly, I reckon, a flip of the coin at the moment. Couple of selections, a couple of injuries, a couple of uh, good tosses, whatever. It really is a fine line.
2: Yeah, I agree. I think when you when you look at the, the two thousand and five, we come on to two thousand and five. I always describe that one as I thought Australia were more nervous than what England were. I thought going into that series, Australia had the best players in the world. But at the time, I think we were the best team in the world because of what what the journey we had been on for eighteen months. And I actually think it's very similar to the, the the current current series that's that's coming up. Mm. Um, and the reason why I always said that I thought you were more nervous than what we were, Ricky never gets hit in the head. You know, the ball that hit mm. Langer, the ball that hit Alfie on the arm, that's his favorite shot, just flicking it down a fine leg. And and Big Matty Hayden, he doesn't ever get hit on the head. And that happened all in the first six overs of the test. Yeah. Hit, yep. I think the anticipation of that, coupled with the fact that the pressure of the Ashes, I think we felt, I still think we felt our best chance was in England, not in, not in, not in Australia. But, and I think that's the same again. I think this team's best chance from an England point of view is to win in England, in England not in Australia. But I just want to ask you about the 05 and about characters in the 05. Someone like warning, Shane Warne. We've all seen what he was like, but we want to know what he was like when he was under pressure. You know, what was he like at, at, at Baston when, when Ponner mentioned, when he said them immortal words for an Englishman, we'll bowl first on that flat flatline. Yeah. What was Warney like in the dressing room and what was Warney like on the field around, around that situation?
1: They asked what Warney was like under pressure. I reckon that series, that summer, yeah, the UK summer, I don't know if he could have been under much more pressure. Is well-documented and he's written about it and, uh, and had spoken about it. He was going basically through a marriage breakup, a separation, um, profile scenario. Um, he was going through a whole lot of other stuff. He was, um, out there in the field of battle. It always seemed like we were under siege, as you mentioned, honey, from the first six overs. I tell you, I'll go back a year or nine months to, to the champions league, uh, champions trophy final semi final, where you, uh, mate you bowled to us there and you hit me in the forearm there and that that was a seed planted in my mind of of uncertainty of oldie um this is this is going to be game on next year because um that that hostile spell you bowled that day forever remained in my mind so um it's amazing what can happen a long way out from a series and how how quickly or how well people can process stuff and move it away and disperse with it or if it lingers but um yeah that what uh, you saw warney under immense pressure there and what did he get 40 wickets and 350 runs <laughs> um he was he was different league he, every time we were under pressure it seemed like he was the go to man whether it was with with uh you know getting the wickets or um trying to do a counter punch with the bat at the end because a few of us at the top had had left too many runs out there so uh his personality let me just make sure it didn't seem to change a bit he Warney could be everything going his way. Life could have been perfect, but he still could have found something to whinge about and complain (laughs) about and something going wrong. (laughs) Uh, And yet the flip of a coin or a blink of an eye, he can be the most positive, happy bloke ever. If if someone goes, oh, but Warney, remember, it's a really bad day for you, but that function's on it, right? And it could be good fun. Oh yeah, right, let's go to the cart. Oh yeah, got blackjack? Yeah. So he can go up and down like a yo-yo, but you knew that, once it was time to switch on, he was he was going to give it everything. And he, he probably loved, loved being down or on the back foot against England more than anyone else in the cricketing world. And that usually produced the best. And, yeah, a lot of you guys drew that out of him. Um, a few new faces like KP coming out too, taking him on. So that, that enhanced it. And, uh, you know, and I thought Punter was right up there too under that series. Uh, you know, he played a couple of really important knocks. Uh, but that was... Probably one thing, we we probably just left Warney a bit going a bit lone wolf. It wasn't enough of us to really build a tapestry of work around him to to get the job done in the end.
0: Gilly, fascinating to listen to you and Harmy talking about those series and and the little bits that contributed, some of them, you know, six months prior to the series starting with Harmy hitting you on a forearm. Mm. It was an extraordinary 18 months that that then took place. England win that series 2-1. We see the double-decker buses going through the west end of London. But Hmm. the next series in Australia, it looked like you were playing a completely different team. What was the turnaround? I think think
1: a few things. and I love that. I got off the plane in 2005 at the start of that tour and in a press conference said, look, I don't want to be part of the team that hands the ashes back to England after 18 years. Um, and there I was sitting on the balcony at the oval late in that late afternoon in September, watching the celebrations begin, seeing bloody grown men crying out in the in the grandstand because, you know, young men or, or even them with their kids hadn't seen that for, for so long. And and then the players rightly celebrating and and people might say carrying on but we had a real a real solid hit out in the change rooms both teams together the level of respect there at the the end of that series was quite phenomenal really Uh, I think everyone knew they'd been involved in something really special and I think that's what the first step for us we were able to sit there and sort of look it in the eye because it was a pretty it had been a long tough series and for the first time in our series, uh, in our generation, or that group, that core group of, say, four or five years of cricketers together, it felt like we had a few little fractures appearing and the, and the foundations were just quivering a bit. And I think the fact that we sat there and sort of looked it in the eye, didn't enjoy it, but embraced the fact of we have just been part of a pretty historic moment. Um, so you knew that. So that was a start. We then came back and then John Buchanan... I think, felt like he detected these little sort of fractures in our, our foundation. So he took us away on a boot camp, much to everyone, none the least, disappointment. Um, disappointment. But it was just, without overcomplicating, I guess it was, um, you know, sort of leader or teamwork 101, let's go away and do the, the, uh, the team building exercises. And it was the old SAS military style, which I think England might have been put through once or twice since or or certainly at some point I remember seeing it uh, Harmy but uh, yeah it was the, the, the good old-fashioned you know bust them physically or challenge them physically challenge them mentally challenge them around mateship and teamwork and all that and it, it was a fascinating week um, and we got a lot out of it in the end uh, uh, except Warney would never have agreed with that but But it was amazing when we did play in that after series. um, I think what Buck knew, the skeleton was still there. We needed to pull all the flesh back, get the skeleton right and in in alignment again and then add the fleshy bits through a a shared experience. And and we could have sat in a boardroom and written up what is teamwork, um, you know, trust, uh, communication and all that sort of stuff. But the fact that we went through a shared experience, a bloody tough one, um, eventually in Adelaide, Uh, in warm-up on day five, that's where we all suddenly found out that Shane Warne was on the boot camp. And he got up and gave us one almighty rev up speech about belief and what we can do together. And he he jumped on the back, believe it or not, of what John Buchanan was saying. And it was unbelievable. to see the two of them in unison, but a rare time. But uh, of course he came out and, and bowled us to a, well, set up a victory as we chased down the run. So I, I think, that was probably it. Like you said, Hami, leading into 05, the wave of momentum that you guys had, you know, Pakistan, you know, four, I think it was, and just the belief and you know, Vaughn, uh, everyone was on board with Vaughn um, and and Duncan Fletcher and you're all so hungry. Uh, I think what we were able to do is get some momentum up after that, that disappointment. And we could have gone one of two ways. We could have really crumbled after 05 and that been the end of that group. Or I thought John Buchanan showed some strong leadership and, and foresight in rebuilding it. And we had one last go, go and we you know, got it right by the end of Sydney and then we farewelled some
2: absolute legends. Yeah, we, from an England point of view, we, we did crumble after 05 because we fell apart as a group. Um, and the big part was we, we went to India not long after that and we made two changes. We had two enforced changes one was Marcus Triscothic and the other one was Simon Jones. Yeah. They were replaced by two all-time mm-hmm. greats in Alistair Cook and in Jimmy Anderson. But it wasn't the same. You know, young guys going in and then the team that Freddie had to go over to Australia, it was like that opened up Bus parade as a group was the worst thing we ever did. We did not want to do that. And it was like we were saying to the the management, look, let the guys get, because you mentioned a drink afterwards. Simon, you, you wouldn't have realized you, you could t- see who had won and who had lost in the dressing room. There's so much level of respect in 05 for what that series was about. And then to go on that bus parade before Australia had left, that's what the players, the England players didn't want. We were like, let them get in the air, and while they're in the air, we can have this parade. They might see pictures, but let's not ram it down their th- you know, their throats of what has been an unbelievable series. That didn't need to happen in Australia because we weren't good enough. We just didn't have the team to go over there. But the, the fact that you did ram it down our throats, you did make sure we, we, you knew that we were, you were in the country when we on that bus parade. And we, you mentioned Adelaide near, not giving up on day five. And then you went to Perth. And I thought we were still in the game at Perth. And you came out and played. Mm. In innings, I, I am honestly, Simon. I've said this before the roof of my mouth was sunburned. I'm standing long off <laughs> and I'm saying to Monty, Monty, just throw it at his toes. Just, just, just dart it in. And Monty's going, I, I think I can get him. As it's gone over my head for the fourth time that, that over, I'm going, Monty, just pull darts. And he's going, No, I can get him. And I'm like, I just, I'm just constantly looking up to the Perth sky and I would say the roof of my mouth was sunburned. Catch goes and goes goes, goes again, that's even better, oh, oh, oh. that sounded superb, and is superb, makes no difference, oh, oh, oh. that's the best of the lot, oh, oh. 24 from the over,
0: and
1: uh, there goes uh, a drive now, will he come back for the second, I think he probably will, Clark comes back, he's day through for the second, that's it, magnificent, First century, the second fastest in the history of test cricket.
2: But what about that, Eamon's Gilly? It was unbelievable.
1: Well, it's funny you say it. Monty felt optimistic because he got me out. Remember he got five for on day one? He did, the like yeah. Left arm orthodox getting five at the whacker on day one. You've got to be kidding me. What's going on? So that tells me surely some of us, if not all of us, were a bit negative of mindset, and he got me out. I reckon I got a duck. Like I, he, he bowled a pretty innocuous little left-arm ortho, and I just propped forward a little bat pad out for a duck. And I remember walking off thinking, if I ever face Monty Penasarian, I'm at least getting caught on the boundary. I'm not getting caught bat padding close. So <laughs> I sort of parked that in my mind. And fortunately, when I came out to bat that day, um, oh, you'd remember it. I mean, it was forty degrees. Yeah, it was red hot. Beneficiary, of,
2: you <laughs> both were cooked,
1: literally cooked um Huss and pup were, had, well Huss had scored 100, Pup was encroaching on a 100. Uh, we already had about a 300 run lead, didn't we? So um, it was uh, it, you know all the, the weight was in on my side in regards to the match situation. And, but funnily enough, Freddie came on when I walked out to bat, went round the wicket, and uh, sort of pushed at one, flew through gully. I thought oh, he's got me again in the gully region shocked me. Uh, but there was no fielder standing there, yeah. and it went down the boundary for four. And I, I remember thinking, "What? Is that odd?" And 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 in reflect on reflection, I wonder whether you know Freddie's at that stage as captain and was so exhausted and take on so much and was so hot, maybe he'd forgot to really get it right. But next ball he bowled similar, and I <laughs> self indulgently I absolutely laced it off the back foot, back foot cover drive right out of the middle. And I thought, I've been searching for a ball out of the middle against this mob. For eight test matches now. Yeah. Now that I've found it, I'm going to have some fun. I'm going to, I remember what it feels like now. I'm going to have go for it. So, yeah. But we we got to 50, and I remember we sent a message back to punter saying, "Look, we reckon we got him by the scruff of the neck. It's only day three, but if we absolutely tee it up here, we could get 500 ahead and have another half an hour at him tonight." So we just said, "Don't don't run back out to the 12th. You just give us a thumbs up from the change rooms if it's a yes slog, or thumbs down if you want us to see it out." Michael Clark and I were sure we saw a thumbs up, so we, <laughs> we went for it, we went for it, and yeah, got him out of the middle, um, fortunately he was hitting with the breeze when Monty was bowling, and then we got to the 100, and then um, going to the change rooms, and everyone's high fives, hooting and hollering, a and punter's standing there looking at me, and he said, what the, f- was that all about, so he had the dirts with me, but Anyway, we got we got. I reckon we got Cookie out that night, which was little and Sorry, yeah, Strauss out that night.
0: The um, a number of things have come out of this conversation. Listening to the two of you reminisce about those two wonderful series, but I think we now have a new definition of optimism, particularly the way Harmy put Monty's bowling. (laughs) I think yeah, a fifty-seven ball hundred and Monty still thought he was a chance way. to get him one, to, to throw it up while Harmy was getting sunburned at long on. I just think that's brilliant stuff.
2: <laughs> oh. <Monty> was perfect. What <laughs> he was perfect in his description of Monty. He was perfect. He played one yeah. game these one times. And that's Mont. That was Monty. <laughs> and you can see these eyes. He thinks it's the greatest idea ever to keep throwing it up in the air. <laughs> And Adam Gilchrist has hit him for the fourth time for six in about 10 balls. And he still thinks it's a good idea. And I think even if you talk to Métis now, he still thinks it's a good idea. But it was, a, it was a magnificent series. You know, forget from an England point of view, we got beat 5-0. We didn't have a great side when we come into that. You mentioned, yeah, you know, I was fortunate in my lifetime to play with some of my heroes, play against a lot of my heroes. And to see Glenn, Justin, and the great man Shane Warne, who I I didn't know this until somebody had, had reminded me that I was the last person ever to hit Shane Warne for four. So as the eighth greatest, <laughs> as the eighth greatest number eleven of all time, when I retired, <laughs> um, I was so proud that I won, won, his, won his last boundary. Um, but that. to see them walk off at the end for us, for me, that was that was cricket special. To see him get 700 wickets yeah. at Melbourne, that was cricket special. See to see then McGrath get 500 at Lords, that was cricket special because these are unique times and unique ways. But We had some good times, didn't we? That, that was a great. That was a great couple of Ashes series that I don't think people will forget. We forget because we got beat five 0 but we don't forget because of the sort of two series. It was it was brilliant.
0: Gilly, uh, been uh, great uh, having you along. Be but, you all, but, mate, uh, before it? we before we go. Um... Not only do you always uh, uh, freshen up the TV broadcast that We see you here in Australia and the development of you uh, on the telly. Mm-hmm. The UK are seeing a hell of a lot more of you at the moment, particularly uh, through social media, etc.
1: Yeah. Oh, look, it's, it's it's pretty clearly just an encouragement to to people in the UK. In particular, uh, we've always sort of promoted here within internally within our country to try and support businesses that uh, produce and and, or manufacture uh, their products here in Australia. So, um, you know, in a big wide world out there full of exports and imports, obviously, there's a a little bit of everything to go around, but we're just encouraging uh, people in the UK that. To, to consider what we think um, Australian-made products are, are you know, reliable, high quality and trustworthy. So that that's effectively what Australian-made week is. And, and we know there's a lot of expats over there, Aussies, so they'll be on the lookout, dare I say, for a few Australian-made things. So, um, yeah, that, that's pretty much the, the basis of it, uh, boys, and uh, a huge thrill and honour for myself to be asked to be a, a part of that campaign any time I think anyone uh, anywhere from around the world gets a chance to promote their com- uh, country and, their, and the companies that come from that country. It's, uh, it's certainly something that we're you know, proud to do. So uh, I'll be over there myself at some stage through the summer. So uh, look forward to, to joining in the in the uh, festivities.
0: No one uh, better to be fronting that free trade agreement uh, between Australia and the UK, Gilly. And um, uh, we wish you all the well with, with it and uh, also anyone involved in it because uh, it's a great opportunity for many businesses here in Australia to showcase... Uh, what we've got here in this country. Mate, great to have your company uh, on the show today. Enjoy your involvement with um, with Australian Made. And uh, when you get over to the Ashes, I've no doubt uh, we'll see plenty of cuts to the crowd saying, oh, that's the bloody Adam Girl Christie's back.
1: <laughs> uh, pleasure to chat, boys. And uh, and Harmy, you mentioned that, that last Sydney test. For, for a lot of us, it was our last Ashes test match. Mm-hmm. Uh, and as we spoke about at the top of the chat here, how significant and special that little trench of all our careers is. So, um, yeah, that was a huge, a huge day uh, and a, a wonderful rivalry between our, our group and your group, mate. So great to chat. Cheers, Sod, and uh, see you again soon.
0: Good on you, Cheers, Gilly, for that. Well good done, you, mate. forward to see you when you come over. No, you don't. Cheers, bud. I know you don't mean that. Honey. Yeah. Australian Made Week kicks off on May 15th.
1: Look for the green and gold kangaroo logo. Road to the Ashes.
0: With Simon O'Donnell and Steve Harmison. Welcome back to Road to the Ashes on SEN and also Talk Sport over there in the UK. Thanks to Australian Made. Look for the green and gold kangaroo. Steve Harmison still with me as he should be. That was fantastic chat with Gilly Harmy and the, the passion you guys um, had for that chat and what passion you would have had back in those days uh, it was absolutely brilliant. And you showcased it perfectly talking to the great. Adam Gilchrist, but um, let's talk a little bit about uh, the Aussies and and the English that are they're that over there playing county cricket at the moment. And I can't help but think Michael Nessa, last two years has been you know part of Australian squads nearly wherever they've gone, and he's over in the UK playing at the minute. And and he's that sort of bowler I reckon is just perfectly suited to to UK conditions. He got seven for thirty two. Um, against Yorkshire last week and and looked to be bowling brilliantly. And oh, I've got a funny feeling the, the Aussies may rue not having him there at some stage during the campaign. Did you see any of it? What did you think of it?
2: Yeah, I thought he bowled beautifully. I watched some of the stream uh, over here and he did. He bowled fantastically well. That's the beauty about, Simon, about what Australia have done. They've got the likes of Michael Neeser. They've got Cameron Bancroft. They've got... Um, one or two others that are Peter Hanscom's here, if need be, sort of about a wee type. That they've got it. So Australia aren't coming with 17 players; they're coming with 25. Mm. There's a few in this. There's a few in the country that, at the drop of a hat, can get on a, on a on a in a car and be in the ground within an hour and a half. So that's that's what England brings. That's an Ashes tour that comes with it. You, if you're going to pick five seamers, you're probably a backup seamer. Rightly so is, is Scott Boland because he's, he's probably bowled the best of the ones that you're not, you're, the, you know, the, your first choice. So I can understand why Michael Nisa wasn't in the squad, but since he's been here, he's bowled beautifully. He didn't get any wickets in the second innings. He looked as though he was chasing, trying too hard, and he would not for 91 in the second innings as you, the wicket had, had just got flatter and flatter. But his, his English length and his ability to move the ball laterally through the air not dissimilar to Jimmy Anderson-like, was something that I think Australia might look at if, as the series goes on, at this minute in time, England's having horrendous weather problems. It's it's soaking wet in this country. So, you know, as, as a surprise, it's cold, it's wet, it's damp. He might come into the equation as the series goes on if Australia... Talked about there to Gilly about the pool of players that England have got, I think is better than than Australia. But Australia's 1-11, to 11, I think, is better than England's. But the bowlers that are bowling in county cricket and that are playing, Michael Nees is definitely one of them, which I think probably at some point over the course of the six weeks he'll find himself in the Australian squad.
0: Interesting to see how that uh, happens. Really interesting to see Steve Smith and Ollie Robertson uh, showing their wares for Sussex during the week against Worcester. Um, Steve Smith wasn't out there for long. I thought he's <laughs> the decision he got... Um, wasn't one of the best umpiring decisions I've ever seen. And and I think he made his uh, thoughts on that pretty clear. And Ollie Robinson, that fantastic early season form from him. And he looks fitter. Looks like he's dropped a few Ks.
2: Yeah, he looks fit. He looks strong. He looks durable. That's the key for Ollie Robinson. It's durability. He bowls at 78, 80 mile an hour, a little bit quicker. And in the past, his lifestyle wasn't the greatest. He admitted that, got himself fit because the drop off at 78 mile an hour not good enough to play test cricket, but he's now constantly bowling 25 overs at that speed, and he is a handful, especially in English conditions. So from an England fan, that was nice to see. Steve Smith, I thought you were very polite there, Simon. I thought he got in shock. <laughs> we come over to Australia and we get it from the baggage handlers the minute we get there, whether we land in Perth or we land in Sydney, and we get hammered. That Gilly's gonna belt us everywhere, McGraw's gonna knock us over, Warney's gonna make us embarrassing. And you're like, yeah, right, right, right. So Steve Smith, well, so he runs into his first innings in an umpire just as a favour for all England supporters, and gives him out. It wouldn't hit another set down the leg side, and it probably wouldn't hit another set over the top. But hey ho, that's. I thought he was very calm in his um, his walk off, because I thought he could have been a lot more. I could have been a bit more of a hissy fit as he as he walked off the field. But yeah, Ollie Robinson is in fine form. One of the only ones really from an England point of view that's that's played this week and, and got anything out of it. Jack Leach got six wickets in a match, hmm. had a decent role, Chris Wokes, played in a good win for Warwickshire. Um, no batters of such got any runs. Quite a few of them weren't playing. Some of them are in the IPL. Um, I think, if anything, the week was better for Australia in English conditions than it was for England because not many other than Ollie Robinson not many players, and Marnus Labersham <laughs> looks as though, I, I, well, I think we all England fans hope that he's using them all mm. because 65 in the first and 170 in the second. Um, I watched some of that stream and he could have batted all day and there was no chance of getting him out.
0: He's one of those guys, once he, once he gets in there, he's, um, uh, I call him arthritis. Once he gets in a joint, he can never get him out. Yeah. Um, and that's pretty much uh, where he'd like to be. Manus Lavashane batting at number three for Australia. I mean, we've run out of time. Great to chat again uh, this week. Look forward to doing it all again next week. Absolute pleasure, Matt. Good on you, Steve Harmison, joining us there. Under sufferance too, I might add. Very good effort to get up early in an English yeah. morning after yeah. a strong celebration last evening. A tick in the right box. Commending uh, your ability to stay as part of the team. Harmy. good work. Thanks, my friend. Good on you, Steve Harmison, joining us there. This has been Road to the Ashes. Uh, Simon O'Donnell, Steve Harmison, been with you over the uh, last period. It's been a lot of fun talking to Adam Gilchrist and uh, reliving the 05 Ashes and the 6-7 uh, the Ashes here in Australia. Absolutely brilliant stuff uh, from those guys. Uh, if you uh, have a question for us at any stage, you can tweet us at SEN Cricket or at Talk sport or cricket underscore... TS and we'll be both back next week thanks to Australian made look for the green and gold kangaroo